Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game with me, Kevin Day, and Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. I don't know why I took a deep breath before I said behind there, Kieran. Just seems a bit... <laughs> give it a bit of extra gone again. <laughs> How are you? Uh, I'm not talking about football, Kevin. Oh, good. I wasn't I wasn't asking about football. I was asking about your emotions, Kieran, but that's clearly... As they, a they are inextricably <laughs> linked, like most men, sadly. <laughs> yeah, we both had a bad last minute yesterday. Um, yes. I have to say, though, it's, it's the first time I've been to Brentford. It's, it's a clever, cleverly designed little place, isn't it? Yes, yeah, it, it's, uh, it's it's a cracking little ground and um, a, a, a very good example for those of you that have gone early, a very good example of what can happen when you have uh, a fan organisation with a golden share um, and communication with the club. Uh, and if only this became entwined in some form of legislation, perhaps via a fan-led <laughs> review, I think that would be best for all of football. <laughs> so you've got over the fact that Tracy Crouch just got married then. I'm, I'm trying to come to terms with it. <laughs> it's questions day, Kieran. We've got <laughs> our first two questions uh, I really like uh, because I hope they've got the same sort of hangover I've got at the moment. <laughs> uh, uh, first question comes from Rick Lewis. And Rick says, I thought of this idea when I was drinking. So pardon me if it's daft. Could a super wealthy fan of a club pay off their debts with no ownership or strings attached just to reset their finances? So the actual owners can be unconstrained by financial fair play and can pump money in. Uh, it's it's an understandable question, Rick, but uh, sadly uh, it, it won't work. We, we, we've just had the scenario at Leicester City where the owner has paid off a huge amount of debt. Um, when PIF acquired Newcastle, they effectively paid off all of Mike Ashley's debt. But the problem in problem is, is that FFP is based on a on a break even model, and and that break even is uh, is linked to profit. And the trouble with debt is that debt doesn't impact upon profit, um, and therefore FFP. You look at your income, which is match day broadcast and commercial plus your player sale profits. You take away your costs, which will be wages, overheads, and, and amortization. Of course, where would we be without it? Um, and that gives you your 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 effectively yeah, sort of that's the start point for your FFP calculations. So the problem with paying off debt or write, writing down debt, what you are doing is that you're effectively converting loans into shares, and none of that goes into your FFP calculation. So whilst it's it's good news, um, we, we have seen it at some other clubs as well. Um, we, we saw it, in fact, at Sheffield, Sheffield United last mm. week, mm. Uh, where Prince Abdullah he he converted some of the club's debt into shares. It's completely independent of financial fair play, and therefore uh, can't effectively reset the clock I- in a way that would bring a smile to Uncle Terry's eye. <laughs> uh, yeah, sorry about that, Rick. I, I feel your pain both in the head. And also the fact that you clearly wrote that down on a little piece of paper after going to the pub and woke up in the morning thinking, this is a great idea. I'm going to ask Kieran Maguire. <laughs> no, it's, a, it's a good question. It's a good no, it's question. A great question. It's, a, it's, it's a great question, but it's a hangover question. That's fine. 
Um, as, as indeed is Matthew Key's question. <laughs> um, I'm starting to get worried about some of our listeners. Matthew Key says, a little bit of a silly question for you, but this is something that has led to hours of conversation with my friends after a few pints. If I were to acquire a small fortune through a lottery of some sort, and I like the detail that Matthew gives about how we might acquire a small fortune. This is not just an imaginary small fortune. It's a small fortune from a lottery. What would be the best way to financially support my local football club? Could I denote X amount of money to directly support the signing of a player? And what could I expect in return for my generosity? Is it allowed for someone who is a supporter of the club to be involved without buying shares? by saying to the board or the manager that I will donate some money to help you buy a particular player? Uh, yes, Matthew. Should you be a benefactor of a, a large, uh, large source of revenue, large source of income, there's nothing to stop you from making a donation to a club. And, and I know historically there have been some, uh, some fans have sometimes set up individual accounts um, to try to give support to a club, and and then there's negotiations between the club and the fan base as to how that money can be used. I, I think at, at Brighton, we when we were at Gillingham, we, we had some sort of fighting fund, and it was used to I think sign a player called Rod Thomas, who uh, had a a short but spectacular career uh, at Brighton, um, and it does give you as as fans uh, that that slightly closer feeling. To the uh, to the player, unless you get sent off in the fifteenth minute at Colchester, in which case you go on to <laughs> sort of the, the usual type of abuse that that is recently levelled at. What are you do that for? He's he's our, he's our lad as well. You can't do that, ref. Um, so you you can make a donation now. Where this can be really useful is if uh, if you are supporting a League One or League Two club, and, and effectively going back to the, the earlier question, um, in relation to FFP, because in Leagues One and Two, we have something called Football Fortune. And Football Fortune is um, equity investments in the club, donations, player sales, or FA Cup runs. And... What you're allowed to do is that 100% of the money from your football fortune goes into your uh, FFP calculation. So it, it can certainly make a difference. In terms of, of what you get in return, um, well, you, you might get invited into the boardroom. You might get your name in the program. You might get a signed shirt by the player. But it, it, the chances of being able to benefit financially i think would be slim and the reason for this is there is no such we're not allowed to have what's referred to as third party ownership mm. of players so if, uh, if if you contributed money towards the signing of a player that player goes on to be a superstar and is sold for a fortune you can't then say uh okay i want 20 percent of that because it, uh, because that will be deemed to be third party ownership so it would be the eternal thanks um, of your fellow fans, the board of directors, um, and uh, I, I would imagine that would be probably quite enough. If we look at the situation of of Partick Thistle when when Colin Weir won hundred and I think it's one hundred and sixty million pounds on the lottery, yeah. uh, he he effectively bought the club, set it up, and uh, I think the fans are forever 
uh, grateful. We, I mean, we have had somebody from the Jags Foundation Indeed. on the show a few months ago because things turned sour between the board and some of the fans. So it doesn't necessarily always uh, produce a happy ending. But uh, I th- you can certainly put that money in um, and you could effectively say, I know that you're looking to sign player X. I, I don't think you could say, I've seen this bloke on the telly. He looks really good. I think you should sign him and I'll give you the money um, because that that's sort of interfering on the playing side of things and it's not really fair on the manager and coaches. Yeah, <clears throat> and then you end up signing Graham Norton because he looks really good on the telly. <laughs> um, I, I feel a little bit sorry for Rick Lewis now because Rick's going, hang on a second, I, I can't pay off all my club's debts with my imaginary fortune, but Matthew Key can buy a player. But there you go. Um, our next question, Kieran, comes from Liam Blaney. Um, which is a great surname and is only one R away from being the best surname in the world, basically. Uh, (laughs) Wouldn't you love to be called Liam Blaney? Um, But anyway, Liam Blaney says, how much money do owners have to put into clubs in the lower semi-professional tiers of English football, say around seven, eight, nine levels, for example, to keep them alive? Are these clubs heavily dependent upon the level of attendance at games? If those attendances range from 200 plus to a thousand plus and tickets are 10 pound each then clearly there's a large disparity even in the same league in terms of match day revenue so does ticket revenue cover player costs at least ticket revenue is highly unlikely to cover ticket costs um clubs at that level really have to have to sweat the assets as best they can so many will be community or fan-owned um because they won't have a local benefactor. When they do get benefactors, um, there can be a a sea change. Um, You'd be looking at uh, sponsorship income being significant at sort of sixth, seventh, eighth level. I I was looking at, uh, I was looking at, uh, I think it was Radcliffe uh, FC, which I think is sort of around about that level. Um, They're normally charging ticket prices in, in the region of, eight to ten pounds you can get a pretty cheap season ticket from what i understand talking to some of our colleagues in the uh, agent industry probably at level seven you'd be looking at wages of 50 to 350 pounds a week um but there are some clubs who want to go through the leagues so yeah remember we saw what happened with uh with Salford and the class of 92, how they managed to accelerate. Um, I think South Shields, for example, I think they've gone full-time and they're currently, I think they're in the equivalent of, well, they're in the Northern Prem. They want to get into the National League. Ideally, they want to get into the EFL. So if, if you go full-time at that level, you'll be paying more than that level of wage um, and, and you become reliant upon the owner. But uh, most clubs at that level, it's a case of trying to break even Bar takings are absolutely critical. I, I used to do the uh, accounts for a, a club in Trafford and bar takings, sort of uh, events, room hire, that was the major source of income because you're getting, you know, if you get a couple of hundred people uh, paying, you know, kids kids will be there for three or four quid. You've got the adults, eight to 10 quid. Uh, and remember, it's only once a fortnight, so you're playing 20 home games. It doesn't add up to very much. Um, club lotteries are an absolute goldmine um, because people don't mind sticking in a fiver a month and, and you get friends and friends of friends and people and exiles. So it's that type of thing which tends to be the biggest driver of income. 
Um, there's not that many clubs that have benefactors. It, it does tend to be sort of more community-based um, and, and therefore you, you are reliant on everybody to, to sort of chip in through a variety of means and the dedicated committees and individuals that, that go with these clubs become legend in, in their own areas. <clears throat> Club lotteries are great, Kieran, until somebody accidentally wins them. Yes. It's not meant to happen. Did you pick um, Radcliffe FC totally at random? Not particularly. It's just because I, I, uh, I know that Berry AFC play at Radcliffe. Oh, right. um, okay. It's, well, it's just that my, um, my cousin is a goalkeeper. Oh, is he? Yeah, Tom Stewart. Yeah. Oh, um, yes, yes. Yeah, and he's, he's been, um, I'm not sure if this is a good thing or a bad thing, but he's been player of the month just about every month this season. So, um, uh, yeah, very good goalkeeper, Tom Stewart. So, I'm, I'm very pleased to give Radcliffe a bit of free publicity, Kieran. Well done. Um, Jack McDonald has a question that covers um, several bases that our listeners are always mm-hmm. very interested in. Uh, and Jack McDonald's question is this. Many people wonder whether there's an alternative to parachute payments out there. Um, this is a, a chestnut that we've discussed at some length, Kieran. <laughs> but Jack has um, an interesting idea for an alternative. Jack says, I was thinking whether it would be beneficial to have a joint TV deal for the Premier League and the EFL with the deal split along the lines of 60% Premier League, 27% Championship, 10% League One and 3% League Two. You see, he's gone into specifics there. Mm. But no parachute payments at all. Would this be a more workable solution? And also, in the future, would English football benefit from removing themselves from all TV deals and creating a streaming service for the Premier League and EFL. Now, we know, Kieran, that that's something that Premier League clubs would possibly quite like, some of the bigger ones, their own streaming deal. But two interesting questions from Jack. Yes. Um, it, it, it would work if it came to fruition, Jack. Um, but what you're effectively saying <clears throat> is that 60% of the money is kept by the Premier League and 40% goes to EFL clubs. Now, um, the EFL have been demanding 25% um, from the Premier League of of the joint TV deal Um, on on the grounds that that was an original offer by the Premier League in 1992. And since then, um, the the income of the Premier League in terms of of TV has, has multiplied by 55 times. Um, in in thirty years, the Pre- Premier League's TV deal has, has been spectacular. That of the EFL has not been the case. Um, so this what this was the offer that was on the table in nineteen ninety two, which was rejected by the clubs in the EFL. And to sort of give give sort of an analogy, it, it's the equivalent of being in a lottery syndicate saying. No, I'm, I'm going to leave the lottery syndicate because I want to buy my own lottery tickets because I want 100% of the money. And then a few years later, the lottery syndicate wins. And you go, um, you know, I left you, you know, five years ago. Um, can I retrospectively change my mind? And they'll tell tell you to go and bog off. Um, so what what we presently have, and we have an on pass uh, between the Premier League and the EFL, the EFL are saying, actually, we, we want that original offer. We want 25%. Um, and the Premier League are saying, uh, are you prepared to negotiate on that? And the EFL keep saying, no, 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 we just want 25%. And it's, it's, uh, I think it's fair to say it's, it's cheesed off uh, not only the Premier League, but it's cheesed off other parties quite senior in football as well, that there is 
no willingness to be flexible on behalf of the um, of the seventy two. And you know, I, I I agree with with Jack. We parachute payments are not the problem. Parachute payments are a clumsy solution to the issue of the cliff edges between the Premier League and the Championship. Uh, Championship and League One, there's parachute payments there, but the EFL tend to keep quiet about them. Um, there's there's a cliff edge between League Two and the National League because uh, clubs in League Two actually get more money from the, the Premier League TV deal than they do from their own. And and, and the deal in the, in the National League is actually very, very modest. Uh, so there's there's parachute payments there. So but they do exist. They they are there for a purpose. They're there because of the the cliff faces, the cliff edges between individual divisions. Reduce the cliff edge to a gentle slope and, and the need for parachute payments disappears. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> that's, that's Finley in the background. <laughs> What's upsetting this time? I squirrels, <laughs> cheeky, 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 cheeky bucket squirrels. We had a squirrel in our garden the other day. It was bench pressing half a coconut. Really? Uh, yeah, I've never seen anything like it. Uh, and Smudge decided that discretion was the better part of valor. <laughs> the, the, the squirrel was strong enough to lift up half a coconut. Yes. Um, are, are coconuts indigenous to Croydon? Uh, no, I believe this one had been dropped by a, uh, an albatross. <laughs> right, okay. Uh, um, yes, parachute payments. <laughs> parachute payments, yes. So Jack's model would address the, the issue of parachute payments, but, um, and, and no disrespect to the sides I'm going to name, um, Manchester United versus Chelsea, Manchester City versus Arsenal will generate a global audience of tens, if not hundreds of millions. The Premier League is broadcast to 188 different countries around the world. Um, Middlesbrough versus Cardiff on a Tuesday night. Yeah. Who's going to watch it? And Middlesbrough fans and Cardiff fans, absolutely. It's, it's their local team. It's 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 the thing which makes their heart beat. I absolutely get that. But are people going to get up at 5 a.m. in the morning? In in you know, in Asia to go to go and watch it, the chances are no. So therefore, the value of those individual rights is 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 more of a challenge. Um, so, I, I agree in principle, Jack, that your model would work in terms of achieving its objective of reducing the need for parachute payments. But it but it ain't going to happen. Um, I I, th- I think the Premier League are willing to increase what they presently have on the table uh, which i think yeah, presently i think premier league clubs give six round about 16 percent to efl clubs but that includes parachute payments i think that might go up to up to around about 19 with reduced parachute payments not eliminate them altogether and um uh from what i hear the efl just says no 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 with 25 percent or nothing and the trouble is they're not in a strong negotiating position to say that so it, it's uh, it, it's going to rattle on, and the, the the independent regulator. And I'm I'm hoping to hear news about it uh, this week. It was supposed to uh, the, the regulator was supposed to uh, be announced, I think, a couple of weeks ago, but uh, Rishi Sunak decided to have a reshuffle, and we've we've now got new people in charge in various departments. So uh, I think this week uh, could be 
could be the week in which it happens. Yeah, yeah apologies uh, to people who may have heard another sound effect shortly before Finley started barking. That's because I managed to uh, poke myself in the eye of a teaspoon, uh, <laughs> which is which is my fault for keeping the teaspoon in the mug. But my dad used to do it, so I did it. And I once asked him why he used to do it, and he said because his dad used to do it. So um, that's probably why the days are not as brightest people in the world. Um, also, Kieran, I think that's – I'm not going to listen to every episode to check, but I think that's the first time in this pod that we've had the word impasse used in the same sentence as cheesed off, which is <laughs> – I, I, I was going to say the, the English language is a beautiful thing, but clearly impasse is not from the English language. But cheesed off is a fantastic word and sounds like a euphemism for something else that it's not. Our next question comes from Jeremy Banford. And again, Kieran, this is amazing. You've mentioned Croydon already. Uh, Jeremy Bamford said, my folks are from Croydon and moved to Canada in 1967. Although why anybody would leave Croydon in 1967, Kieran, uh, is beyond me. Um, Let's be fair, I've been to Canada and some parts of it are similar to Croydon in 1967. Um, Jeremy says, uh, as Mark Lamar uh, used to say, if you ever want to see what the world is like in 1920, go to Swindon. Um, uh, which he was from. Uh, So Jeremy says, this makes me a Canadian Crystal Palace fan. Well, Jeremy, fantastic. Canadian and a Crystal Palace fan. We played very well yesterday, uh, on Saturday. Jeremy, we're pleased to know, right up until the last kick of the inexplicable 28 minutes extra time the referee added on, thinking he was in Qatar for the World Cup, I imagine. Uh, As we know, says Jeremy, the Canadian men's and women's squads have both been in dispute with the Canadian FA around pay, and I was wondering if you could shed some light on what federations generally do with qualification money and whether pay disputes are more common than we hear about. And this was uh, a, a fairly amazing story from last uh, summer, where the Canadian men's team threatened to go on strike to get equal pay with the Canadian women's team. Yes, um, this this is a dispute between Canada soccer and the, the women's team. Um I've managed to get hold of Canada Soccer's most recent accounts, Ooh. and I'm thinking, it, it, my, my my Sunday mornings must make people so envious. I'm sure. <laughs> um, and on on 33 million Canadian dollars worth of income, um, Canada Soccer made a five million dollar profit. So why? they felt the need to introduce budget cuts does seem uh, a little bit perplexing. And it looks as if the the women's team have been uh, asked to bear the brunt of this. They are unhappy. They were were threatening to pull out of the She Believes Cup. Uh, The Canadian soccer, sorry, Canadian football authorities, I should call it, isn't it? It is football after all. Um, They then threatened to sue their own players and, and it all got very, very tetchy. Um, because sort of linked to Jeremy's question, the the women's team and the men's team who have sort of acting together said, um, in terms of these budget cuts, could could, could you actually tell us what you do with all of the money? Yeah. Um, and you know anybody that's familiar with uh, Roy Keane and the Irish FA, one of his big bones of contention was that the. The, the suits used to travel business class yeah. and the players were yeah. expected to travel economy. Yeah. And we're going, hold on, these these are elite athletes. Um, yeah, and, and folding somebody like Jack Charlton into an economy seat, uh, yeah, not 
or even Mick McCarthy, you know, not, not, not an easy task. They're, they're, they're big lads. So, so sometimes they're, they are run as uh, individual fiefdoms. And if anybody that's followed the, uh, the activities of the Irish FA um, and the way that that has been run as a, uh, as, as a glorified executive toy um, by people, who shall remain nameless? Um, it, it, it is, of course, a scandal, and, and it's not just isolated incidents. So that there have been quite a few uh, set of circumstances where individual football associations, especially when they get to the World Cup, um, the executives bit book themselves into five-star hotels. They get the best seats on the aircraft for themselves and their wives and their girlfriends and so on and their their partners and whoever it may be. Um, and, and the players going, there's all this money. Yeah, and, and players the, look, the players want to play football, and the players want to represent their country. But uh, the, the world of FIFA, and, and I'm not blaming FIFA for this. The, the world for FIFA, it, it is it is a generous distributor of money. And probably on Thursday's show, one of the things we're going to do, FIFA have just published their accounts, and uh, there's there's a few eye raising numbers in them. So we'll probably have a look at those on on the Thursday show. Um, so that there have been quite a few disputes between individual uh, groups of players and the the people in charge, uh, and I must confess my, my sympathies in the main have always been on the side of the players. Mm, quite right. Uh, Nathan Stansfield says that he has a question on player contract add-ons. It seems to have become more common, he says, to report the fee for a player as the upfront fee plus add-ons. For example. Man United's proposed purchase of Frankie de Jong last summer was reported at 65 million euro with 20 million euro add-ons. What is a typical makeup of these add-ons and how are they valued? Uh, so are we talking about trophy wins, league position, international caps, player of the year, player of the month award, valued over the life of the contracts? And are there any good examples of what these typically entail? Or is it simply down to individual contract negotiations? Well, it, it, it is... Um... It, it, it is very variable. Um, if we take a look at the most recent accounts of, of Manchester City, they potentially will have to pay out a further £197 million pounds in add-ons. Whoa. These are partly in respect of transfer fees when players have played a certain number of games, partly linked to uh, signing on fees um, at, at, at future dates should the player still be at the club, um, and loyalty bonuses. When we take a look at Manchester United, Manchester United have actually broken down the figures, um, and Manchester United have got just, and just very much in inverted commas, just £111 million of potential add-ons. And these are referred to as contingent liabilities in the club accounts. They they are possible future payments because, yeah, we don't know what's going to Yeah, the player may be sold, the player may retire, the player may, may, may have, uh, you know, no longer be picked. Uh, by the club. For Manchester United, it's £69 million, which is linked to uh, team success or the player being offered a new contract. Uh, quite often, that will be a sort of a, a year's extension uh, as far as the contract is concerned. And there, there, is, there is a huge logic in having these bonuses um, when it comes to, to, to amounts paid to players being linked to team success. Otherwise, it, it can result in selfishness from individual players. And you know, we are seeing more and more, especially we've just been mentioning Manchester United, the, the reason they got rid of Cristiano Ronaldo 
wasn't because he wasn't a fantastic player. He is. It's that he wasn't a fantastic team player. Mm. And it was, it was all about him. Um, so uh, Manchester United have to pay £11 million if players achieve certain international uh, caps targets and £31 million in respect of potential awards. And those awards tend to be golden boot, player of the season for uh, you know, voted by the PFA or FIFA, uh, you know, FIFA player of the year and so on. So yeah, the, the sums are very substantial. In terms of the biggest potential payouts that we've seen, I think we, we've probably just, just had one a few weeks ago when, when Chelsea signed Enzo Fernandez uh, because yeah, 18 months ago, he was still playing for River Plate. And when they sold him to Benfica, they very cleverly um, said, should he be sold, um, we want 25%. So they've ended up with somewhere in the region of, I think it's 25% of the profit rather than the fee, but but he was sold for, I think it's only sold for about eight or nine million. Um, so they will end up with somewhere in the region of 25 to 26 million pounds from Fernandez being sold uh, to uh, Chelsea by Benfica um, to uh, to join the, uh, yeah, it is what it is, uh, comments um, from, from Chelsea um, fans. Are, are clubs obliged to show these potential add-ons in their accounts, Kieran? Yes, they are. Um, uh, un- under the accounting rules, a contingent liability must be, the word is disclosed. Right. Uh, so it must be hit, uh, hidden away in, in the footnotes um, if, uh, if it is a possible payment. So clubs really should do it. The, the level of adherence to these rules is, in my view, um, spotty. Uh, it, I, I do find it frustrating. Manchester United are excellent, by the way, in terms of their level of disclosure. Manchester City are very good as well. Some other clubs, um, they go down the, the route of, of vagueness. They say, yes, there could be future payments, but we, we can't really work out what they might be. Right. And I'm going, well, then you're not really doing your job. Um, because it, it's all there in the contract. So, so it, it is something which, which bugs me a bit, um, but the auditors seem to just, just nod it through, which, which, which I find somewhat frustrating. Yeah, I could, I could hear you getting bugged as you answered <laughs> the question. Um, are there sometimes add-ons, Kieran, that for financial uh, or, shall we say, creative accounting reasons that may never be paid? You know, that if we win the World Club Championship and the, he's player of the match in that final, is there a reason that clubs might have that sort of thing or is there no point doing that? Um, you, you can do as, as, a, as a flattery exercise. I mean, Claudio Ranieri had one in his contract at Leicester along the lines of if we win the Premier League, you've oh, got really? to go and pay me a absolutely <laughs> whacking bonus. And Leicester gave him the contract and they had a good old snigger yes. <laughs> when they signed it. Yeah, yeah, pat him on the head. You know, dilly dee, dilly do, yeah. uh, Claudio. Yeah, yeah, okay. And then, oh, okay, right. Okay. And, and I'm sure it was that when the finance director signed that off, uh, signed that particular clip to Claudio and yet I suspect they did it with the biggest of smiles on their face because I still think it's it's the greatest achievement in the Premier League history. I, I agree with you. I just it'd be fantastic. The finance director would have been in the pub that night talking to his or her friends. Going, <laughs> guess what we put in his contract? That's very funny.
I'm Steve Lamack and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insight Stuart Dredge on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. In each episode we discuss the very latest goings on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry, or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works, or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. It's a relatively short pod today, Kieran, and we're on our penultimate question already. Uh, and I have to apologise uh, to the person who asked it because I don't know whether this uh, first name is initials or a first name I can't pronounce. It's AJR Angove, um, and my apologies to AJR. Um, if it, it is your name, please let me know how to pronounce it because I'd be really interested, uh, and I like to do these things properly. Uh, but the question is, um, on a similar note, when a team buys a player, how much of the fee is paid immediately? Uh, and I'm not talking about the add-ons or the potential increases, mm. the actual fees. So do teams pay in monthly instalments? Is it all paid up front? I understand this will vary. And, of course, um, I'm adding this here, and our old friend amortization will be involved. And what are the different methods that teams will use or accept for payment? Well, it... It it does very much vary from from club to club. Um, there are some clubs who would say um, we want to sign such and such a player for for thirty million, uh, and we'll give you two choices. Uh, we'll either give you ten million now, ten million in a year, and ten million in two years, or we'll give you twenty seven million now. Take it or leave it. And it depends how desperate the other the selling club is for the cash. So yeah. it, it, it does very much right. If if we take a look at the case of that, because some have effectively got into the public domain where the where the selling club has sold the instalments to a bank, um, and therefore when it comes to to selling it anything to a bank, we have to look at our very good friends at Watford because they really are the kings of this. <laughs> um, so, so when they sold um, Richarlison, I think uh, they received fifteen million pounds immediately from Everton. There was fifteen million due in a year, and there was ten million due in two years. So the, the overall fee was forty million, and they sold the the two instalments that were due. I know when Liverpool sold Philly uh, Coutinho to Barcelona for a, an amazing sum of money. Mm. I think that was probably spread over around about four years. So it it, it does very much vary. In, in terms of when the payments are made, they are either made on um, on, on an annual basis, you know, the, the anniversary of the player being sold, or some are on a six-monthly basis. Right. So it could be if you sell the player on the on the 1st of August, then you've got your next instalment will be on the 1st of February and then on the 1st of August. So it, it, it does it does vary from contract to contract. Um, it's, it's between the two parties. Some clubs deliberately use the, the club credit card because they, they, they want to. I, th- I think I, I see the word increasingly used. They want to splurge. <laughs> um, in terms of of player by, uh, player purchases, so um, Manchester United, I think they're up to a three hundred and six million pounds wow. in terms of of their instalments. Spurs have just gone through the roof. Spurs are well over two hundred million, um, and and it is uh, in total 
£1.6 billion that Premier League clubs alone uh, owe yeah, in respect of these instalments. And, and, and my fear, um, yeah, for anybody that, that ever used to go and watch uh, what happened in, in 2007, 2008, when we had the, the great uh, economic crash, it, it was effectively people... Uh, selling things on installments and uh, selling debt on installments to other parties. And you, you had this merry-go-round. And then once somebody stops paying, it's it's a bit like a house of cards. You know, what happens? And, and, it, and it, it won't happen in the case of Manchester United. Let's say Manchester United or Barcelona, but it's more, more yeah, Barcelona is, is perhaps a higher risk. What happens if Barcelona owe a club £30 million and they say, we can't afford to pay it? And then the the club to whom they owe money, they, we owe somebody else twenty million pounds, and we're relying on the money from Barcelona yeah. to pay. And, and can you see it, it can become quite uh, quite precarious? And I know that to be fair to UEFA, this is one thing which they are very concerned about. And under the new financial and sustainability rules, this is this is an area which is being addressed in terms of outstanding instalments um, in transfer payments because. That there is a genuine fear that that there could be a, a significant uh, negative impact upon the whole of football's finances, when just set off by by one club failing to make one big instalment in terms of the payment. Mm. I've just written down the words "to be fair to UEFA" and added two exclamation marks. I may <laughs> I may frame it, Kieran, because I don't think I've ever heard you use that expression. So we've got impasse, cheesed off, and to be fair to UEFA. Our final question, Kieran, comes from Alex Jennings, uh, and it's a good old-fashioned question about uh, a single club. And it is a club, Kieran, that we have spoken about at some length, but I think it's worth asking this question just for um, an update, basically. Mm. Um, uh, I don't know when Alex submitted the question, but it's still a valid one. And Alex says, I was looking for some clarity regarding the most recent account submitted by my club, West Bromwich Albion. Uh, the so-called billionaire Gao Chun Lai has taken out a £5 million loan from the club and loaned it again to Wisdom Smart Corporation, a related party to him. The club owed money from a similar loan to buy the club in 2016, which is still unpaid. Is this allowed if one loan hasn't been paid? And can the owner take another one out of the club? And it's, 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 it's a murky situation, Kieran, isn't it? Whether these are loans or donations or whatever, but we have talked about it before, but I think it's well worth an update, especially for West Brom fans. Yes, uh, and, and I'm in regular contact with uh, our friend Alistair, who, who yep. set up Action for Albion, who, yep. Yep. who is uh, he's like Finley after a, a wonky chomp. You know, he's <laughs> he's abs- he's been working his trolleys off. Uh, trying to to hold up the profile of, of what's happening on and to shine a light, uh, and to be fair, the, the the club I think Ron Gourlay has has agreed to meetings and they've made some progress. Um, in terms of these particular loans, um, it is it is within the legal framework. Um, what happened with regards to the the loans in twenty sixteen? The the former owner of the club, Jeremy Peace. He, he effectively borrowed money from the football club, used that money to buy shares in West Bromwich Albion from individual shareholders, and then sold the whole package to Gauchun Lai 
at uh, what is estimated to be a a substantial profit. Mm. Um, I, I think he's, he's now living in the in the Channel Islands, is Jeremy, and uh, doesn't doesn't seem too keen to repay the money to the football club, which which you know as you can imagine grinds the gears mm. of of baggies. Um, the the loan from West Bromwich Albion to Wisdom Smart Corporation again perfectly legal because companies within a group switch money around all the time. I think what surprises us in the world of football is that we're used to that money coming from the other related party yeah. companies to the football club rather than this way around yeah. because we all know that football clubs don't tend to make a profit. So um, as far as, as Gouch and Lai is concerned and as far as the frustration for fans are concerned, you, you, you can see that, especially given that there have been, I think, two deadlines which have uh, come and gone and have been cheerfully sailed by by Gouch and Lai. And um, we're, we're presently operating on, yeah, the money will be repaid in early 2023. Uh, so, you know, today is the 19th of, of February. I think that is quite early in 2023. So uh, it, it does make you feel uncomfortable um i do i do have a degree of sympathy for people at the club because they are independent of the owner and they're, they're trying to do a professional job um and you know west brom on the pitch have, have been on fire mm. as well which makes mm. things uh e- even more frustrating because you know they they've got a chance of returning to the premier league which i suspect is what the owner is hoping for um and then um, we will see what happens because there was talk at one stage of uh, Gouch and Lai paying a dividend to shareholders, uh, who would of course be Gouch and Lai, and then that dividend would be used to repay the loan. So it was a classic case of uh, you know paying from one hand to the other, uh, uh, and it, it does make you feel very very uneasy. Uh, and that process again, Kieran, that dividend repay loan process again, completely legal. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And it, the thing is, if they do get promoted to the Premier League, it will be despite him rather than because of him. Because I, I believe one of the deadlines was the 1st of January this year, and the money that he was to repay was going to be used for the transfer window, and that didn't happen, did it? No, no he's, uh, yeah, he's, he's certainly on the naughty step as far as uh, West Brom fans uh, are concerned. I, I would imagine... Uh, yeah, Adrian Charles will not be uh, will not be sending him a Valentine's card. Put it like that. Well, I, I was waiting for you to say Adrian Charles wouldn't be a happy man, but he's not. Full stop. <laughs> <laughs> he's, uh, he generally, much as I love him, he's not a ray of sunshine. Uh, he, he, no, he's not. I was about to say, to be fair, he can be, but he can't. Um, this week, Kieran, on our next pod, we'll be speaking to sports lawyer Tom Murray who specialises in the financial regulation of sport, especially football, uh, and is happy to answer questions from our listeners. So if you uh, if you have a question, send those questions in. Um, we'll put as many to him as we can during the interview. Um, if you'd like to make a small monthly, uh, small monthly, monthly, it should be pronounced monthly, Kieran, it's M-O-N, but it's, <laughs> it's not. That's the English language. Again, we're having a discussion about the English language. If you'd like to make a small monthly contribution to the pod, Go to patreon.com slash price of football. Ali told me off the other day for splitting an infinitive. It's like, what is it? Star Trek here? I don't know. 
Um, if you ever put- I, I, I failed, I failed my English O level, so I don't even know what an infinitive is, let alone a split infinitive. I'm absolutely rubbish at English. Well, it's, it's all the only one I know is to boldly go Star Trek. Apparently, they've been split yes. in infinitive, but if you can travel to space, you can split an infinitive. I reckon. If Einstein wanted to split an infinitive, he could split as many as he wanted. Uh, if you have a question you'd like answered on the show, email us at questions at priceoffootball.com. Uh, and again, if you have a question for Tom Murray, our sports lawyer, he used that address, price, uh, questions at priceoffootball.com. And please put Tom Murray in the subject bar. Uh, otherwise, producer guy will get more confused than he normally is. Uh, and in the meantime, uh, I shall hand you over to Mr. Kieran Maguire for his customary farewell. Well, thank you to everybody for supporting the show. Um, I think most of you have now received the the price of football shirts and lots of lots of uh, photographs of uh, happy smiling faces on on social media. Uh, what, I hope you enjoy the shirts as as much as we do. What a handsome, and what uh, a we're looking forward are, to our listeners. Sorry, what a handsome lot our listeners are. That, they are, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, I think we could, we could have our very own Love Island of <laughs> price of football shirts wearers. I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll pitch. I'll pitch that to ITV too. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> oh, hang on. There you go. New, I've got, got a new laptop. I don't know how to turn that off. <laughs> right. Um, another way of supporting the show is, is by all accounts, uh, giving the show a review on, on the podcast provider, on the app that you use. And uh, that helps us in the charts, helps us with algorithms. It, you know, people read the reviews, people look at the number of stars, and we, we, we do okay for ourselves for a, a fairly niche show. Um, by, by all accounts, uh, it, it doesn't matter what you say in the narrative uh, of the report. So I, I do enjoy reading them. You could even say you would rather have the show presented by Perry Mason and Lee Mason. <laughs> and I think I, I've, I've, I can go the full partridge in pitching that one to, to some TV executives. You could have Perry Mason solving crimes and then Lee Mason on VAR sort of doing some sort of review of them i i, I think it'd be a, make an amazing television program so it doesn't matter what you write just just chip in and we're, we're we'll happily take it on so you'd have perry mason solving them and then lee mason unsolving them <laughs> yes. by putting a mistaken line because i feel sorry for lee mason i have to say perry mason less so because he didn't actually exist bye everybody bye I'm for the